Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Deep Thoughts, Simple Truths. My name is Matt. I, of course, have dad jokes for you. <clears throat> what do you call a musical insect? A humbug. <laughs> uh, why do fluorescent lights hum? Because they forgot the words. <laughs> oh my gosh. And this is for all the musicians out there. Middle C, E flat, and G walk into a bar. Sorry, the bartender says, we don't serve minors. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have a guest with me today. David Harsh is a first place national award winning Christian songwriter from the Pacific Northwest, where I live with full, four fully recouped independent albums, a couple decades of touring, David has been serving the Lord with music across North America at Christian churches, conferences, festivals, camps, and schools. He loves to bring glory to God through musical creativity. He has also served on staff at three different Northwest churches as a director of worship, part-time and full-time. In these roles, he has counted it a privilege to lead God's people in worship, to equip musicians, technicians, to be a part of this process. David sees a clear distinction between performing and leading worship and finds them to be both to be wonderful opportunities to use his musical gifts. I met David at a church plant in my hometown where he auditioned me and equipped me to serve alongside him. It was amazing. Um, I was on the team for multiple Sundays. David's main focus now is equipping Christian guitarists, of whom I am one, through a unique online experience called Guitar Success For You. More on that later. I've been in this program for about two years, and I'm loving every minute of it. David, welcome to the show. Here he is. Thank you, Matt. It's great to be here with you. <laughs> How did you first get started? We're going to dive right into some of these questions because even I don't know these answers. Um, how did you get started into music? I've heard college and choir and stuff like that, but when did it first start for you? Well, I'm going to roll the clock way back to when I was very young. Um, music has always been a part of my life. We were always listening to music in my house growing up, but my parents valued music so much that they actually allowed me to be a part of a preschool program called the Mother Goose Room, which was put together by a sweet older lady by the name of Maxine Castoldi. And uh, she lived upstairs in this wonderful house, but in her basement, she had made this entire music and art studio dedicated to nurturing young minds. And on one side of the room was a huge keyboard made of wood with black and white keys, just like a piano, uh, and we would take pictures holding our little art pieces as we stood on this piano. Uh, you know, the front row stood on the white keys and the back row stood on the black keys, and uh, we, we got to enjoy listening to music and making music, and a few years later, or more than a few actually, a couple decades later, I went back to visit this, this place, and the keyboard was tiny. And I, I, I'm sitting there on this keyboard, I'm thinking, how did it get so small? <laughs> anyway, that was a wonderful influx of joy uh, for me for music. And then I went on to be in choirs uh, in junior high and high school. And then I, I was in college and I pursued a vocal performance degree uh, where I sang classically in six languages. But while I was singing, uh, I wanted to hold on to an instrument to accompany my voice, and that's where the guitar came into the picture. My my roommate and I both bought guitars, and we both decided to learn. That is awesome. Wow. How many instruments do you play? Do you have a favorite? 
Well, I began with piano as a very young person, and I didn't stick with it. I really wish I had. Um, but uh, I learned enough to get a taste of music so that later on, when the guitar came into the picture, I knew that I had found my main principal instrument. So it's an acoustic guitar that I play, six-string acoustic guitar, but I've played in about 13 different tunings, so that changes the playing field drastically. But that's been my main instrument for accompanying my voice and creating original uh, solo music and playing in bands. But in addition to that, I've had a real desire to be creative and to expand the sounds that I play. So I've, I've discovered a few other instruments. Some are more well-known than others. Um, but the hammered dulcimer is a wonderful instrument that's believed to be originally from the ancient Middle East. It's a trapezoidal instrument with strings all across it that's actuated with hammers, and it just sings. It's a beautiful, sweet-sounding instrument. It actually gets its name from dulca, which is Latin for sweet. Some people would say dulce. Uh, and then melos, which is Greek for song. So a dulcimer can basically create a, a sweet song. And that's been an instrument that I've really enjoyed playing. I also play a, another unusual instrument called the Chapman Stick, invented by the late great Emmett Chapman of Woodland Hills, California. And uh, this is a touchboard instrument that's basically the equivalent of four guitar necks kind of all fused together in one giant guitar neck that's 24 frets and uh, 12 strings. You basically play treble strings with your right hand and bass strings with your left hand, and you basically have a tapping approach to the instrument. So that's a, a wonderful way that I've enjoyed um, coming up with new and fun creative sounds. I do still play some piano, uh, but I also love to use looping technology. So I would say the guitar, the dulcimer, the Chapman stick, and a little bit of piano. But I would say that the guitar is my principal instrument. Yes, it is. You've been playing guitar for, golly, over 30 years. And uh, just as a teaser into gs for you this is the approach that David wishes he would have learned because everything is so simplified. It's so easy to learn and easy to catch on to the, the principles and the things that, uh, that are taught there. So uh, 30 years worth of knowledge uh, coming down the pipes. It's great. Um, I'd like to turn our attention to worshiping God. What does it mean to worship and to play skillfully to the Lord? Well, you mentioned that I've had the privilege of having quite a bit of experience leading worship, uh, and I do see a clear distinction between performing and leading worship. Whenever I'm leading worship, my desire is that the Lord is the center of attention. And so I do not, by action or omission, want to draw attention to myself. I want to play well, because if I'm not playing well, that's obviously going to distract, but I don't want to showcase because that can also distract. And by showcase, I mean uh, play in such a manner as to draw attention to myself. I love to use the analogy, Matthew, you know that I love analogies. Yes, oh, yes. Uh, but if I was going to play for a friend's wedding as the bride is coming down the aisle, would that be my moment to shine? Absolutely not. It's all about the bride. So right. as I look at the worship space, my desire as a musician and a worship leader is to facilitate an environment where the Lord is the center of attention. Psalm 33.3 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. And why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we play skillfully? That is an, an offering of worship, um, and there's an unwritten message about the quality of our musical offerings. If it's thrown together, then the message that we're inevitably communicating is that it's not that important. Um, David said, I will not offer 
sacrifices to the Lord that cost me nothing. Worship should be costly on some level. As we play, uh, it should cost the preparation, um, the diligent practice. And if you're thinking, well, I'm not actually that gifted of a guitarist yet, I'm just getting started, I'd rather hear someone play, you know, three or four chords simply and cleanly than three or four dozen chords sloppily. So it's not a question of the level of experience, it's a question of the heart. And I think that if we search our hearts as worship leaders, we know if we're bringing our best offerings to the Lord. And I think people can sense it as well, but ultimately our gift to the congregation is to lead them in such a way that we we forget about ourselves and the Lord is the center of attention. Yeah, amen. I couldn't agree more. That's That's a very good answer. Have there been things about leading worship that have surprised you? You know, there have. Uh, and I'll speak to two different areas, spiritually and then just... Uh, philosophically. When it comes to spiritually, it it is with great uh, humility and almost just a level of trepidation that I became aware over time that I was placing words on the lips of people that they would be singing to the God of the universe. And that is something that's really worthy of respect. It's not just something that we're gathering and we're singing four songs and and we're done, we're actually engaging with the Almighty through what I believe to be one of the most sublime forms of expression. Worship happens with or without music. There's many ways to worship. But when I realized that I was choosing songs and leading songs in such a way that people who may or may not understand music would be claiming those words as praise, as prayers, as truths to offer to the God of the universe, I was really humbled by that. So that kind of took me by surprise in a beautiful way, because then I was able to look at my work and my offerings through a lens of this is eternally significant. And the other thing is, even if I'm only leading four songs in those last, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, If I've got a whole congregation of people, you do some simple math, and we've got hours and hours and hours of of worship going on. Not that I would want to qualify worship by time duration, but just the fact that it's it's magnified by the the number of people engaged. But even then, if if I'm leading just a small group of people, we're all still singing directly to the Lord. That surprised me. Another thing that surprised me was the dynamic of a volunteer in a worship team. Now, it's interesting because the word volunteer can carry a couple of different meanings. Uh, For some people, volunteer could mean, well, I'm just volunteering. So I'll basically give what's left over and kind of just phone it in and kind of just basically do the bare minimum, just get it done. Um, But uh, I'll, I'll just show up just in time to do it, and I may have to learn what I need to learn on the clock and in rehearsal. Uh, That, to me, is one perspective of a volunteer, which surprised and disappointed me. But then I was surprised and delighted by the other philosophical approach of being a volunteer, and that is I get to serve the king. I get to serve the Lord of the universe with like-minded people and use music as a, a vessel for that. And what a great privilege worthy of the time, the preparation, the cost. So I was surprised and delighted to know that there were people who looked at a volunteer opportunity to be on a worship team as a great privilege. That's amazing. Yeah. I had never thought of the, uh, the difference between those two. So it sounds like that surprises you too a little bit. It totally does. If you could go back to the beginning of your musical journey, would you do anything different? Well, I mentioned that I had a little bit of piano at the beginning, um, and I don't want to make excuses, but not all of my piano teachers that I studied under brought great joy to the experience. 
I don't necessarily think that music always has to be fun. Uh, I think it's wonderful when there is fun. And I love the term serious fun, which means Mm -hmm. we engage with a challenge and we know that beautiful music is waiting for us on the other side of hard work. That's great. Uh, But when when there's no joy, uh, it can be really hard to persevere. And so I had a really hard time trying to stick to it. And eventually I just quit. I quit piano and, and my parents let me quit. And uh, I wish that I hadn't because I feel like I would have much more musical competency at this stage if I'd stuck with piano. Although if I'd stuck with piano, I might not have discovered the guitar. The Lord's in charge of that. But I probably would have stuck with piano if I could go back. I gotcha. How much of your musical studies impacted the way you prepare for and lead worship? Well, the Lord works in wonderful and mysterious ways because when I was in college, I had to uh, basically earn a Bachelor of Music in Vocal Performance, which required three solid years of collegiate music theory. And we went really deep in classical theory. Uh, Classical versus pop has a a fair amount of overlap, but there was so much that I learned about music theory that I can now put into practice with songwriting and with worship leading that I now know exactly what's going on at a given moment in a song. I can listen to a recording that I want to emulate and edit or adjust a score or a chord chart to make it more accurate to the recording. If there are typos, I can discern what the actual chords are. I can listen to a recording that has no chart and be able to, you know, write down what I hear. Some people call it lifting or melodic dictation, Uh, but I'm much more in the driver's seat when it comes to just understanding what is going on with the music. And then I can link songs together uh, in a way that doesn't offend the ear of the listener. Um, I like to joke that, I know you get your dad jokes on the show. Here's here's a little humor for you. You may have heard (laughs) me say this, but um, a large percentage of the people out in the congregation, they don't know whether we're singing high C or drinking high C. (laughs) They just know if the music that we're playing is leading them well and ministering to them. But if we don't know what we're doing and we slam a couple of songs together that are not in closely related keys, Mm -hmm. that can offend the ear, even if the people don't understand that we've traversed the circle of fifths in a non-linear fashion. And I realize that what I just said may make sense to some of your listeners and may not. Um, (laughs) But but by understanding music, then I can shape it. Uh, I liken it to understanding the colors of the spectrum. If we know what the primary colors are, you know, red, yellow, and blue, then we can mix them to get the secondary colors. But if we don't know how to mix them and we want to paint, you know, a green uh, landscape and we have to revert to blue because we don't know how to make green, or we want to have an orange sunset, but we don't know how to make orange, we have to revert to, you know, only red and yellow, suddenly we're stuck with limitations. Um, one more analogy, I feel like music theory turns on the lights. So here in your uh, in your recording studio here, if I wanted to go sit on a comfortable couch, but the lights were completely off, I might trip and lose my way and end up sitting just on a, a wooden chair, which is fine. But if I can turn the lights on and I know where that comfortable couches, I can walk straight to it. Some people shy away from theory uh, because they feel like it takes away the mystery of music. But if music is from the Lord, that mystery never really goes away. And in fact, the more we understand it, uh, the more deeply we can enjoy it. So anytime I sit down to lead a song or to prepare a song set uh, or to compose or arrange or capture a song in some form, 
my musical knowledge that I have developed carefully over the course of decades comes immediately to my aid. I like to say that music is a language, Mm -hmm. and the better I understand that language, the better I can communicate and understand it. That's excellent. As you were talking about that, I now see how you had arranged songs uh, when we were together uh, on stage at our church, that they were in a certain key, and then the next one was in a certain key, and then a third one was in a complementary key. Um, I would be playing capo, you would be playing open. the way that this set was arranged. And I also remember too, your knowledge of music enabled to uh, enabled you to take a song. I, I'm, tr- I'm blanking on which song it was, but you had arranged it in a certain way different, just a hair, but it, it was better than the, I think, than the original because you understand music so much that you could make it sound so pleasing and then easy to play, easy for the people to engage and to sing and um, I just, I really appreciate that about you. Well, thank you for yeah. that. One guitarist I crossed paths with said that we are like chefs. You know, we're, we're preparing delicious flavors, but a good chef knows what those flavors are in the kitchen. And the more you understand the flavors, you know just what the dish needs. Otherwise, we're, we're messing around with flavors and we don't know how they work. So I would say, in, in a lot of ways, knowledge is power. And then we can just let that knowledge be put to use and then sit back and just enjoy making great music. Gotcha, yeah. I got another question for you. What are some of the key things involved with equipping the bands, the texts, the congregation to worship with their gifts? Well, I mentioned before, we want the Lord to be the center of attention. So anything I can do to resource the band with plenty of notice about my intentions uh, on and off the platform as we put together the music, I want to do that and I want to do it well. So I I, I love to put together packets that speak different languages. Uh, Some people like to just have, you know, chord charts with words with chords over them. That's a very legitimate way of capturing the music provided that you have an audio recording. So I also supply an audio recording. Um, But in addition to that, I also like to supply a lead sheet which shows the melody and the measures and the actual rhythms so that those who have a level of musical literacy can know what I'm gonna be doing. And here's, here's the real kicker. Those chord charts and those lead sheets, they have to line up. In other words, I know this is a Captain Obvious thing, but if those don't line up and we have different song forms, we're going to have a comedy of errors of people playing off different pieces of music and then suddenly it's a train wreck. So I have to work carefully to hold those side by side as I put them together. Uh, So in terms of the band, that's just the fundamentals of the music. I want to resource them well to know when I need them to play and when not to play. So sometimes I write that in the chart. Uh, Other times we work it out in rehearsal. But when we step up on the platform, I don't want anyone, including yourself, Matthew, if you're playing alongside me, to have questions about where's he going to go with this? What's he going to do? I want you to be able to know what I'm going to do before I do it, not as I do it. And that goes for the text as well. I've always proofed my song lyrics and song slides so that the projectionist knows exactly how to follow me. There's no guesswork. Uh, I never sing the same slide Uh, twice unless I copy that slide. I know that we're getting into the minutia here, but the level of care allows for the least amount of blinks. And by a blink, I mean the congregation blinks and goes, wait, was that supposed to happen? Wait, I just got jolted out of the worship experience. You know, I also right. want the, the sound techs to know exactly when that mic needs to be on and when it needs to turn off. I rarely will make a change mid-service uh, because I know that it will have impacts on the, the crew, uh, but also on the congregation. Uh, one of my tech friends 
always likes to say, you can surprise the audience, but don't surprise your crew. So in other <laughs> words, it can look spontaneous, but the crew knows it's going to happen. Uh, but I would even go as far as to say, a surprise to the audience could be distracting. So, and again, if I'm leading the congregation, I'd like for them to be able to hear themselves on some level. So I don't want to blast them with too much sound, um, but I want to play well. I want to play in tune. Everything that I'm doing is setting the table for and then presenting the experience so that everyone can be deeply blessed. And we don't know what kind of broken hearts are coming into a worship space, um, but we're, we're made to worship. And the opportunity to worship is brief Fortunately, in heaven, it's going to be eternal. But when we have a Sunday service and we're worshiping together, I want to make that the best that it can be within reason and, and to be flexible in the moment. You know, I, I may have a song that ends with two choruses. But if I say, let's sing that chorus one more time. Well, who have I signaled? I've signaled everyone. Yeah. I've signaled the band. I've signaled the projectionist. The tech knows to keep the, the, the sound on. And I've signaled the congregation. I, I was at a, a retreat one time and I met a fellow worship leader, and the, the words he said to me really confused me. He said, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do from moment to moment on the platform. I don't even know what songs I'm going to do. The band, the text, they all just have to follow me. And I thought, well, that could be being led by the Spirit, but I like to be led by the Spirit mostly in my preparation, because I can just picture the texts who are trying to support this guy, and they're looking at each other going, do you know what he's going to do next? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, either. We'll just, we'll see what happens. And that to me leads to blinks and that leads to distractions. And then the Lord is no longer the center of attention. So that comes back to playing skillfully. Uh, I just want to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, even those who are just walking in and not even sure what time it is, not even sure what day it is. Hopefully they know it's Sunday, but they want to worship the Lord and I want to be able to, to meet them in that. He's one of the most thorough guys that I know. He puts together packets. He double checks things. He had a, a stage plot. He was very communicative, as smooth as it could go. Um, he puts all kinds of efforts. Oh, you made a time lapse of packets of all of the songs that we sung. And I watched him carefully go around and, and make this packet. And then I was handed it. And I knew how much effort and how much care went into it. And it was kind of a humbling experience. Like, he just made this whole thing for me. <laughs> it was quite good. Uh, here's another question. Would you consider yourself to be more linear and structured artist? And how does that affect your process? Well, a lot of us artists are a little bit more freeform and just kind of the creative types who who um, work with less boundaries. And I think that's fabulous. I've, I've interfaced with a lot of people who do that. My particular bent is toward the linear. And here's why. I love spontaneity inside of form. For me, I like to have a, a departure point. So, so if I've got a song with a specific song form, that to me provides a grid, and then I can paint inside that grid. I can I can show artistic um, emphases on the guitar. I can play with dynamics. Uh, I can even variate my me melody just slightly within reason. Obviously, I want the congregation to know where I'm going, but I love to have form uh, because then I can work within that form. If I don't have a form, if I don't know how something is going to go together, uh, it's going to do two things. One, it's going to be confusing um, for those who are trying to track with me. And two, it's going to be more time consuming. Uh, I've seen worship rehearsals that were twice as long as they needed to be because there was a lot of uh, 
just trying to figure it out. Uh, whereas I feel like bringing a song form or, you know, a, a very clear vision would have saved a lot of time on the part of the musicians as well as the technicians supporting that rehearsal. So I, I'm not saying that linear is better, but I have found it to be particularly effective for my personality type. And uh, a lot of the people who are less linear, they don't typically resist my linear approach. They just like to kind of paint through the windows uh, with their musical sonorities while I hold the fort. Uh, and that still gives them great freedom within the form. Uh, I always want to equip. I always want to help people to do their best. Um, and if they're confused, then I haven't done my job. So again, if someone wants to be a part of what I'm doing and they are linear, great. I've had musicians who will stick right to the notes. In fact, I've even had some musicians play along with me who will not play a note unless it is transcribed on the page. Um, and then I've had some musicians who wouldn't play what's on the page even if they knew what it was. They just, you know, they'll look at me and they'll be like, trust me, you're going to love it. Just, just trust me. And so I've, I've navigated a lot of different personality types and I've navigated a lot of different paradigms. Uh, but when push comes to shove, when things get bumpy or something changes, I always love to have a form to fall back on uh, and then we can make intentional departures deliberately. That That's really served my vision well, and it's been reliable for me. But again, if I'm in collaboration with someone who is leading and I'm supporting them and they choose to be less linear, I'm going to do the very best I can to support them and try to track with them. That sounds so much like you. Um, golly, I've, I've known you for three or four years now, and <clears throat> you are very predictable. Um but you're very energetic and you're very intentional about it. I want to be predictable. I really do. I want you guys wow. to be able to, to look at me and go, I know exactly what he's going to do next. Because honestly, if, if you have no idea what's coming up next, then there, there gets to be a little bit of insecurity on your part as a collaborator. You're like, I, I hope I know which notes to play based on where he's going. But if I resource you well, then we all play well. And then again, the Lord is the center of attention. Absolutely. Tell me about... GS for you. How did it start and what's it like? But first, um, I have been in for two years. I've been playing since I was 13. I picked up a guitar. My mom knew how to play three chords. And I was like, mom, there are more chords to play. So I taught myself out of an old Mel Bay book and I just did the chord kite diagram. I went back and forth between the chords and then I started playing for worship. Uh, I started playing at youth group. I've been playing on worship teams in churches that I've been to, and I've been playing for a long time. And it wasn't until G Guitar Success for You that I really took my guitar level playing up 1,100 <laughs> notches because it has taught me so many things. So tell me about GS for You. Well, thank you for that plug. I appreciate it. I, I, I'm so thankful to have you as a part of this community. In fact, I think you call it GS for you because you feel like such a part of the tribe. It's just an informal yeah. uh, way of referring to it. If you're looking on the web for GS for you, you won't find it, uh, but you will find it at guitarsuccessforyou.com, which is guitar success, the number four, and the letter u.com. Very important. Yes. So, I began as a guitar student, but it was not long after that that I became a guitar teacher. 
um, it was it was not even six years after I got into the instrument that I had developed my skills to such a technical level that I was able to relay information to someone else as they began to play. And before I knew it, I had a studio roster of over 50 students a week with a waiting list, which is a wonderful way to share musical knowledge, especially if people have practiced and especially if they are on time and especially if they never get sick and especially if they show up every week <laughs> and especially if everything is perfect. But the reality is we don't live in a perfect world. Sometimes people are running late or they get sick and they can't make up make it to a lesson or something happens to to make that an imperfect scenario. Well, my wife Whitney had this wonderful idea a few years ago. She said, "What if you created an online experience where you captured your knowledge in a really accessible video format?" supported it with clear PDF worksheets, and then basically created a way for students to know your mind on the guitar, your unique approach, but to enjoy it on their own time from the comfort of home and to be able to print up their worksheets and watch the videos at varying speeds, rewatch them. You know, some of us uh, don't keep regular hours, daytime hours. You know, I've got people in all different time zones now across the US. Some people are watching my lessons and learning from me while I'm asleep. So <laughs> this is a really ideal scenario because it, yeah. they don't have to try to meet with me at a specific time to go over the material. Uh, and when the lesson's done, it's done. Uh, but when they watch a lesson, they can slow it down, they can play it back, they can listen to the audio version and really absorb it. And I've filmed each of the lessons in such a way uh, that upon multiple listens, you hear new layers. Now we do start at the very beginning. So if someone is teachable, even if they've been playing for a while, they will pick up some new things but there will be a fair amount of review as they get going. But what I do is I take the students through a six-stage success path. The stages are called discovery, foundations, knowledge, literacy, going deeper, and liftoff. And I believe you're currently in the going deeper stage, rounding the corner toward liftoff, right, yes, Matthew? that is correct. And so we go through a variety of highly relevant subjects related to the guitar. By the way, there's relevant, there's interesting, and then there's both. There are some <laughs> things that are interesting, but it's like, yeah, that's cool, but I would never use that. Um, so each, each month is comprised of four lessons. We have a topical lesson, then an encouragement lesson, where I share kind of a fun story that's uplifting and encouraging, and then I, I, prevent, I present them with a quiz. And then, then we do another topical lesson. And then the fourth lesson of each month is what's called the relevance lesson, where I look back over the entire month and say, here's where this is put to use. This is where you can use this. Uh, and then sprinkled throughout the experience, uh, I bring in guest experts who can speak beyond my skill set to subjects related to uh, electric guitar, drums, bass, you know, different instruments that interface with the guitar. I have a chiropractor that speaks to health and posture. And then I have the esteemed master luthiers at Mike Lull's Guitar Works, the only shop I trust, uh, talking about how they build and repair guitars. We take take you on a tour through their shop and get to know their minds on how to get the most out of our guitars. So there's there's so much to it. I, I'd love to tell you more, but I think going to the website would give you a greater picture. So if you go to guitarsuccess4u.com, there's a, a video on the homepage that's about 11 minutes long where you can watch and kind of self-qualify if this is for you. And then further down, there's a, a frequently asked questions that we've worked really hard to try to answer any possible question. But of course, you can contact us with additional questions. And then there's a sample lessons link that you can click on at the top and just get a taste of several different approaches that I offer to different subjects. That's wonderful. I'm a very big fan of GS4U. I have uh, 
taken these things and I've been able to experience wins uh, on stage and practices in theory and playing better and playing skillfully uh, for God. So I am a very big fan of Guitar Success for you. Uh, one last question here, David. Uh, what are you currently working on? What kinds of things are going on? Well, you know, before I answer that, I have to tell you how it all began uh, with regard to inspiration. Um, when I was, you know, about a year into guitar playing, um, I felt like there was music from within me that was coming to the surface. And I had a clock radio next to my bed. But one of the features of this clock radio was that it contained, wait for it, a cassette player. So I could That's set so an, cool. I, I'm not sure how many of your listeners know what a cassette player is. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, but I could set my alarm and then the cassette would play whatever was in the cassette player to wake me up. That's okay. So, cool. so, but one of the additional features on this cassette player was a record button. Now, it wasn't super high resolution, but there was a point where I was writing something on the guitar and I said, you know what? I, I got to get this. I got to record this somehow. This is way before, you know, grabbing an iPhone or some sort of portable recording device. So I literally went over to my to my um, alarm clock and I pressed record and play at the same time and I said I don't know how to put this but I, I think I could actually write original Christian music and then I played the song that I had been creating it didn't turn out to be that great of a song the first several songs were what I'd call stepping stones but then those led to four legitimate albums uh, that have impacted tens of thousands of lives mm -hmm. um, and there are some people who have a regular morning discipline of writing songs. I haven't gotten to that point, but I have to tell you that when a song comes to me and I'm inspired to write it, I have to write it. I mean, I, I just have to capture it. So when I've been playing the guitar mostly, but some of these other instruments, um, the ground has been prepared for the sprouting of musical ideas so that when that inspiration comes from the Lord, I'm ready and I can run with it. I've read several books on songwriting and lyric writing, um, but right now I, I'm kind of being creative and coming up with some new sounds and new songs and new ideas. Uh, I'm also investing in what I'm calling the Guitar Success for You alumni experience for those who want to continue and go on and uh, develop more knowledge and build on the previous content. So, um, But I'm also working uh, on the marketing aspect of Guitar Success for You. So uh, I've got a very full plate and it's wonderfully exciting to see what the Lord is doing in this season of my life too. So thanks for asking. Yeah. Wow. Praise God. I I love seeing your originality and your creativity. Um, you have so much uh, knowledge and you are so well versed in music that it just, it blesses me. Every, um, we do these weekly Zoom calls that are optional uh, outside of the Guitar Success For You uh, video lessons. And in the Zoom call, we get to know your heart and we get to see, um, we get to hear stories of your your past and your successes and some things that maybe didn't go right or an encouraging story or something. So I, I really, really appreciate that about you. You did hit on something important, and I, I neglected to speak to this, but um, there's a lot of different ways to learn to play the guitar, but the community element of Guitar Success for You is paramount for many, and you're one of our most faithful uh, contributors to that because one of the things I love is to gather with my people. Um, the membership is called Guitar Success for You, and I call my members my guitar successors, yes. which has a double meaning, right? Because I, I desire their success, but a lot of these people will be my successors. When I am no longer able to play music, a lot of these people will still be carrying this knowledge in their fingers uh, as they play music uh, 
perhaps beyond my lifetime. So to gather with these folks and to laugh and to encourage and challenge them and hear stories, and then to hear them answer each other's questions, I kind of call that crosstalk, where someone will ask a question and I won't necessarily answer it, uh, is tremendously empowering and and uh, emboldening and gratifying. The other night at our Zoom call, one of our members was asking about perfectionism and uh, her struggle with that. And Matthew jumped right in with some great talking points about just listening through to a recording of yourself and just looking at one aspect of it, you know, the the audio of of the strumming or or the the timing or the pitch or whatever. And and these people kind of just came alongside this fellow successor and just brought some real encouragement. And I just thought, man, these are the moments. It's not just about put your hands on the guitar neck and play this note. It's it's real music. And most of our members, if not all, uh, love the Lord. So this has eternal significance, the stuff that we're doing. So, and this is legacy, you know, I mean, this is big time. I, I, I'm really thinking about legacy in this season of my life because there's certain things that they're just not going to last, you know, uh, but some things are going to have eternal significance and I want to be a part of that. Absolutely. I've been thinking about uh, this idea of worshiping, of using our guitars and our voices and what we do at church and this idea of worship. And <clears throat> one of the reasons why I wanted to do Guitar Success for You is I knew that it would help me play my guitar on stage uh, for God. It's really going to Him. And on this idea of worship, I I like to think of it as God always being worthy of worship, of our adoration and our praise, no matter what season of life that you're in. Maybe you're going through something that's a little tougher. Maybe you're some, going through something that's really easy and you're being very thankful and appreciative and, and praising God for His goodness. But He is always worthy of our worship. And that is the one thought that I wanted you guys to take away from that God is worthy of your worship no matter what you're going through. He is he is present, he is there, he loves you, he sees you, he knows you by name, he knows the beginning from the end. He is holy and he is such a good God and he is always worthy of your worship. So, can I say amen to that? Yes, you can. If you had anything else, any encouraging uh, words for guitarists, musicians, Christians about worshiping God. One last thought. Let the Lord be the center of attention. It can be really easy for our hearts to to fall out of alignment with what He would desire for us. Um, and the minute that music becomes an idol uh, is the minute that we're out of alignment. I always want to be focusing on the giver of the gift and not the gift. The world has a very skewed perspective on music, uh, and music can be used for good or not for good. Uh, and my, my prayer would be that anyone who either plays music or listens to music would take great joy in that music, but have a greater love and a greater joy in the Creator who has blessed us with this gift of music. I would like to say amen to that. <laughs> Uh, David, I am thrilled that you have been on this episode. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. And uh, keep on listening. Keep on doing what you're doing. Thank you for listening to this episode, and we will see you guys later. <laughs>